Well, it's great to be together this morning on our third sermon in this Explore God series, and I hope it's been as rewarding for you as it has been for me. And I want to welcome all you from Hayward and then also online. And I was thinking this morning, you know, maybe you're brand new to a sermon. You've never heard a sermon before, and you're trying to figure out what to expect out of a sermon. And maybe, you know, you're trying to explain as parents to your kids about why a sermon is important. And you're thinking, I would love to invite them into this room at some point or to hear a sermon. And yet, what is the difference between a sermon? Is a sermon like a TED Talk? You know, where we hear some really brilliant expert in their field who is super interesting talk about something that they know everything about, and we just stand in awe of what they're, they're saying. I kind of hope I'm brilliant this morning, but I, I doubt if that's really going to happen. But you know what? We have something better in a sermon. It's called the Spirit of God. That's what we're expecting to happen this morning, is that God, the creator of everything, is actually going to speak to each one of us this morning through his word, and hopefully through me this morning to you, as you hear that voice, it's the Spirit of God talking to you. Maybe you think, okay, so it's not a TED Talk. Maybe it's a motivational talk. Maybe it's a pep talk, you know, sort of like, you know, we know tonight around, probably around 7.30, that Cowboys are going to be losing, and uh, their, their coach is going to be giving them a pep talk, saying, get back out there, you know, get back out there. And, uh, you know, that's not what this is. A sermon is not a pep talk about get back out there, you can do it. Because you know what a sermon says is you can't do it, but God can do it. And so that's what we're hoping this morning is that the Spirit of God will actually speak to each one of us and say, you can't, but I can and I want to, I want to help. I I, I remember the story, it's in Luke chapter 24, about two men who were walking with Jesus and didn't even know it was Jesus But their hearts, it says, their hearts were burning within them as Jesus was talking. And that's my prayer this morning, is that your heart would burn within you. And if you're brand new to the church, if you're brand new to faith, and you're like, I'm hearing voices that are not typical for me, and there is something deeper going on, and I'm not sure what to do with that, that's probably the Holy Spirit speaking. That's probably Jesus' voice speaking to you. And we would be honored today if that is you and you fill out a connect card, you share that with the chat online, or you go to our guest services today because we, we want to help you discover that voice all the more. Amen? So this morning we're in our third series, third sermon in the series, Explore God, and we're asking the question, why does God allow pain and suffering? Now, if you have never asked this question before, buckle up, because you will. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. You will go through some sort of suffering in your life. And, you know, I I was thinking, I I wrote down some notes about global suffering that we've that we've gone through. The earthquake in Turkey that killed 56,000 people, the floods in Libya that killed 11,000 people and left 34,000 displaced. But even as we wake up this morning and read the news, there's an entirely brand new earthquake in Afghanistan. There's floods in India. This is just like every day the world is facing mass suffering. But there's there's a suffering too that's closer to home that's not just things that we read on the news or on the internet. There's maybe a vehicle accident that you were in that left you paralyzed or somebody around you severely injured. Maybe that call that you get from the doctor that says, hey, it's stage four 
and you're totally scared now. You're like, what, what does the future look like? Or maybe that person who is facing dementia, who you're going to care for them, and yet they're not even going to remember your names. Or maybe those of you in this room who are dealing with chronic illness, and you know that even though maybe you're you're not even the prime of your life yet, but you know you're going to be dealing with that pain forever. And you're dealing with that suffering. Or maybe it's the trauma that you face from some sort of abuse. Or you went away to serve your country. And you came back with an experience that nobody else can really understand or fathom. Maybe part of the hardest suffering is the suffering that we see of the innocent children when they're suffering. And we just want to beg and ask that question, why does God allow pain and suffering? And in response to pain and suffering, some say, I can't believe in God anymore. I can't believe in him when he allows this to happen to little children. I can't believe that I can't believe in a God who would let these things happen around the world. And yet maybe I could offer a different perspective this morning. If that's your idea as you come back and say, I can't believe in God. Maybe what you are sensing is there is actually something better out there. And that you're hungry for something more than what you see is in front of you. And C.S. Lewis actually puts it this way. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And I want you to hear that this morning, that if, you, if your heart just hurts with suffering and you don't know how to explain it, maybe it is because there is something better out there that you hunger for. So what does God say in response to this question? Why does God allow pain and suffering? You know, I want you to know that the Bible is not shy in answering this question. Um, if I was a lawyer trying to defend God, I would probably say something like, well, I'll just blame others. Like, they brought it upon themselves, they deserved it, they, they did things. Or maybe I'd try to minimize the impact. It's just nature. Like, that's the way nature works. Or maybe I'd say, it's just a result of the fall. It wasn't meant to be that way. Or maybe I would come up with a line, he's trying to sanctify you. He has a purpose. You need the lessons of suffering and pain that he's giving you. Well, those are not sufficient answers. They're insufficient. And yet, what we see in the Bible is it is not half-hearted in the way it dives into suffering. In fact, do you know that two-thirds, at least two-thirds of the Bible deal with suffering, issues that surround suffering? And, and I love that God, that it, it says that God allows pain and suffering and even that he causes it sometimes. See, the Bible is not shy. It is upfront and clear. It does not mince words. But here's the question I think the Bible invites us to answer this morning is this, is are we only going to trust what we as humans can understand or will we trust the God who loves us and understands all things? That's the question. Are we going to trust what we as humans can understand or are we going to trust the God who loves us and understands all things. And there's probably no one that sets up this question better in the Bible 
than the story of Job. Now, if you're new to the Bible, maybe you've never read the Bible before, you're like, I don't even know where to go in this thing. You look up in the table of contents. In the table of contents, there's a book called Job. (laughs) And you might be saying like, 42 chapters on my job. I don't want to hear about that on a Sunday morning. No, actually, it's not Job. It's actually Job. And it's about a man who endured an amazing amount of suffering in his life and how God responds to him. So this morning, we are going to do a brief flyover of all 42 chapters in the book of Job. Don't worry, we'll only be here till three. So chapters one and two starts out with an introduction to Job. He's a man who was born in the land of Uz, and it tells us that he's a righteous man. In other words, he does what is right. He's kind to his employees. He's kind to his friends. He loves on his kids. And he is a very wealthy man. He's done very well. He's probably the wealthiest man who lives at at this time. And the Bible just sets him up as a really great guy. He's married. He loves his kids. It says even when his kids go out and parties, he says a sacrificial prayer for them just in case they've done something wrong. This is how righteous this guy is. He's even concerned about the way his kids turn out. But what happens is Satan comes into God's presence and, Satan, and God says to Satan, hey, where have you been? And he says, well, I've been going back and forth across the earth. And God says to Satan, and this is really important, God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Like God sets this up. And Satan's kind of like, well, what do you mean, have you considered my servant Job? It's easy to see why Job serves you. It's because you've blessed him so much. I mean, look at all the cattle you've given him. Look at all the employees you've given him. Look at the kids you've given him. His life is picture perfect. This is why he serves you. And so God gives Satan permission to make Job suffer. And he says, hey, I'm going to let you suffer. I'm going to let you touch Job, but you cannot touch him physically. And so Satan leaves God's presence. He goes down and he just destroys, wipes out everything that Job has. Destroys all of his cattle, all of his businesses. Every, all his kids get killed. Like his, All of his workers, except a couple of people who come back to report what has happened, get killed. And the only person who is left is Job's wife. And Job says, God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's his response. And so Satan heads back up to heaven and he says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, yeah, I took everything away from him, but I didn't get to touch him as a person. And that's why he still is serving you. And so then God says, okay, you can touch him. So Satan heads back down and gives him these boils that are all over his body. And it says that Job sat in agony, and he used a piece of pottery, a broken piece of property, to just scrape off the wounds of his skin. That's chapters 1 and 2. At the end of chapter 2, we see how Job begins to respond. And Job is... Four of his friends come from outside of the area and they see the brokenness and the heartache that Job is in and they just sit 
Shiva with him. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of the concept of sitting Shiva, but it's a Jewish tradition. It's actually a beautiful thing where uh, the family members or friends would just surround the one who is suffering and just sit with them for a period of days. And so for seven days and seven nights, they just sit quietly. They don't say anything at all. In fact, in Shiva, it's often uh, a practice where you let the one who is suffering serve you because they just need to do something to, to get this suffering and this brokenness, this grief off of their mind. And so they just sit there and they be quiet for seven days. And then finally, in chapter 3, Job has a response and he begins to say, his, he begins to talk about the grieving in his own heart from the pain and suffering he's going through. And his response is, I wish I was never born. I wish I was never born. That's the depth of hurt that he's living in. And I know some of you have said those words because of the hurt and the suffering and the pain that you have gone through. I think that is a godly response. And actually, God actually says to Job, that is a righteous response. Like, I see the hurt. And he doesn't say, you're overplaying it, Job. He doesn't say anything like that. He's like, yes, I, I feel your hurt. I see your pain. Now, after chapter 3, everything starts to go downhill in this book. Because this is where Job's friends started to open up their mouths. I don't know if you feel the same way that you were doing okay with your grief until your friend came along and started speaking. But what we see is Job's friends and his wife begin to respond and they begin to try to answer the why question. The why question of why you're suffering or why you're going through this pain. And one friend says to him, I think you must have had a hidden sin in your life and this is what God is punishing you for. And then another friend says, I don't think it's you, Joe, but I think your, your kids or your wife must have had a hidden sin, and this is why you're being punished. And then another friend comes along and says, well, you actually deserve worse. You got lucky. It could have been way worse, and he tries to diminish the amount of pain that he's in. And then another friend comes to him and says, you don't really believe God at all. You're a fake. You're... you're your, your faith is not real, and that's why you're going through this. Now, the predominant theme through all of the friends speaking to Job is this, karma. Well, what goes around comes around. And this is the depth of their religious belief, is that they don't believe that there's anything except karma. You deserve this because you have done something. His wife actually says, curse God and die, Job. Now, I, I, I think let's be a little bit empathetic. She's just lost all her kids. And so this must have been really hard. But in essence, what she's saying to Job is, become an atheist. Forget all about it. And then after those guys have talked and shared their perspective, there's a young man who walks in, and his name is Elihu, and this is so often what happens with younger men is that they listen to the older people talk and they're going like, they're saying all of their reasons. And then the younger man, he cannot make sense of what's going on at all. And so he begins to say things that are even harder. 
and even more broken to Job. And essentially, he cannot explain why God would do this, why God would let an innocent man suffer. And he's tired of hearing the older men's responses. He's tired of hearing Job's response. And his conclusion is this, Job, you're a liar. Now, I don't know um, if there's anything more painful in a person's life than their intentions being questioned. You can question my actions all you want, but if you get to the level of intentions which you have no idea about, right? We have no idea about each other's intentions. That is a wound that is very hard to overcome, and Elihu just hits Job harsh and questions his intentions. Job, you must be a liar. There's no way I can explain this. There's no way I can comprehend this. In my own understanding, I don't know what's going on here. You must be a liar. And the saddest thing about Job's friends' responses is they're all based upon their limited ability to comprehend, their, their limited own understanding. And they have never stopped to consider that God might be bigger that he might be doing something outside of their understanding. And the friend's response is evident of one thing. They try to trust what they understand and what they can explain. And Job's response is pretty comical, actually. In Job 16, verse 2, it says, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. I love Job's response. I think he's such a realist. Now, Job's friends, all of their responses are typical to secular and religious responses to the question, why does God allow pain and suffering? Because typical worldly and religious responses rely on our own understanding and what we can explain. Consider this, in our world, we do do Shiva, but it lasts about 45 minutes as we go to a funeral service and then we go to the food afterwards and then we go back to work because we only got two hours off. And Shiva is so short. And in essence, in our world, a one-hour funeral says this to the person who is grieving, get over it quickly, even though it's impossible. And karma is probably the best explanation that's used in the religious and the secular world. In fact, most religions rely on this ideology of you get what you deserve or what comes around goes around. And some even try to diminish the pain and suffering by saying you're lucky it could have been much worse than that or it's not as bad as you think. Someone ever told you that when you're suffering? You're giving into it. It's not as bad as you think. And that's a version of Buddhism. It doesn't exist. Some people will say, well, it's just religious punishment. God is against you. You don't really believe. Or God doesn't care. I don't know if you've ever heard the term agnostic, but it's basically the idea that God does exist, but it's like when he created the world, he just kicked the ball in motion and said, here you go. 
and I don't really care about it from this point forward. You're on your own. Let's see how well you do. And maybe another form of religious punishment, God says, you've stopped believing in me, and so you become this atheist, and so you're going through pain and suffering because of this. And what's brutal about these responses is often, like Job's friends, they're an attempt to explain circumstances from what we understand, what we can explain. And really what we're doing is we're manipulating God's explanation or God's circumstances that he's placed in an attempt to comfort our own limited thinking or an attempt to control what's going on because we can't handle a God who could do something like this. We want a tidy and nice religion that we can explain. We want to help God across the road like he's a little old lady as if he needs our help. And every one of Job's friends reveal how human responses, both secular and religious, to suffering give only a partial truth and leave us needing more. And I would challenge you to read through the book of Job because I think you're going to get the answers. You're going to get Catholicism. You're going to get Buddhism. You're going to get atheism, agnostics. You're going to get Mormon, Jehovah Witness, Hindu theology, All of the religious and secular responses are in the book of Job, and they're all represented by Job's friends. And yet what we find is in these explanations, they're not helpful. In fact, trite explanations often wound more, and they are not a bomb, they are a bane. And like Job, we can say this, miserable comforters are you all. We know how God has something more for us than this. We know that we're meant for something different. And providentially, the book of Job does not end with the response of Job's friends. The author of Job tells us that God responds. And God answers the question, why do I allow pain and suffering So after Job's friends are done pontificating over 35 chapters, with 95% of these chapters giving us ridiculous false explanations, they are quiet, and now it's God's turn to speak. Now, I just want you to pause for a second there, because I would wager that probably most of us have sat under... 90% of our lives having bad explanations for pain and suffering. Like the secular world and the religious world has failed you. And if you are here and you have heard those explanations, you have heard it's just punishment. What comes around goes around. And you have been wounded so badly because of those religious or secular explanations Can I just say to you this morning, I'm sorry. I am sorry. Because the God who loves you has way more for you than this. He has way more for you than trite religious answers that really don't help. And my heart grieves that you would have heard that. Our heart grieves as a church that you would have heard that. Because we want you to hear the good news of Jesus this morning. And religion and secularism don't have the final say in this book, but the gospel does. 
the good news of Jesus because God loves Job. God cares about Job. God is for Job and God is with Job. So God speaks. And in chapter 38, we hear God's voice for the first time towards Job. And he says this, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that answers questions, that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. And when God speaks in the book of Job from chapters 38 through 42, he's going to say something miraculous because God begins to lovingly ask Job a series of 64 questions to help Job consider, could your perspective on pain and suffering be short-sighted? He's going to ask him these questions. And I love how he says, prepare yourself like a man. Because in a sense, Job has been beat up. And he's saying, would you stand up one more time so that we can have a conversation about what is real? And, you know, it's so often when I'm reading through Scripture, I just want to pause and just consider the tone of what God is saying here. Because he says he, he enters in from the whirlwind, from the, the middle of the whirlwind, he begins to answer Job. Now, we know in common day meteorology that when you're standing in the center of a hurricane. You're standing in the eye of the storm. And I love the picture here, and, and maybe I'm hypothesizing about this. I, the scripture doesn't really say this, but in my little mind, what I'm thinking is, is God saying from the center of the hurricane. In other words, there is brutal chaos and pain and suffering going on all around, but in the quietness of Job's heart, there's the still beautiful voice of God saying, let me speak to you because I'm with you. And so what does God say? He says this in chapter 38, verse 4 through 11. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out their surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst forth from the womb, as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. And I said, this far and no further will you come. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the chains of the cords of Orion? Can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? And can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? See, here's what God is saying. Would you consider your perspective of pain and suffering is limited? Might I know better because I created you? Because I'm for you? I'm the God I'm, who is over it? And I have a purpose in everything I do, even in your suffering and pain. 
And I love the fact that, that God does not stop here and try to explain the why question. Because in the midst of pain and suffering, the why question, trying to answer it, rarely ever helps. And what we need in that moment is to know that God is working, that he knows, that he is in control, that he loves, that he is present, that he sees, and his understanding is perfect. And God is saying, yes, I allow pain and suffering. And rather than trusting your own understanding, trust me. I see you. I know you. My perspective is far greater than yours. In fact, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, he says it like this. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, who has endured an amazing amount of suffering, he says, and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And after three chapters of God questioning Job, or rather God giving Job a cosmic perspective, Job responds. And in chapter 42, Job says this. He says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, Who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, Job. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. And you said, Listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. And I have only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my eyes. And I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance or to show my change of heart. See, what, what is Job doing? He's saying, I realize my thinking is limited. He's saying, my friend's thinking is limited. He's saying, religion and secular understanding is limited. But our God is not limited in any way. His pain and suffering was real. But Job learned to trust that God was over it all, working a purpose that he might not understand, but God did. I think a summary of our learning um, comes from Tim Keller's voice. And Tim was a pastor in uh, Manhattan for many years. And he suffered with cancer. He finally passed away from cancer a couple of months ago. And his wife, Kathy, dealt with Crohn's disease. So I think this is a man who understood suffering and pain. And he says this. He says, Christianity teaches that contra fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra karma, suffering is often unfair. But contra secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it, and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can ever imagine. Um, I'm no stranger to suffering. My, my, I'm going to lose it if I'm not careful. My sister-in-law... Ange died when she was 34 and left behind um, 
children that were one through seven years old. My brother, Rich, he's my older brother. I love him dearly. He's the godliest man I know. Lost his only kid to a motorcycle when he was accident when he was 21. We had a grandchild on Friday night, and I will never enjoy that to the fullest extent possible because when I hear, hey, Dad, you're a, grand, you're a granddad again, I think of my brother and the fact that he will never have grandkids. My heart is suffering, pain for him. My dad got diagnosed with stage four brain cancer and passed away about 10 years ago. He was 67. He was on the mission field starting a Bible college in South Africa when he found out. My own family, we went through a unjust lawsuit with our business and had to declare bankruptcy. The suffering and the pain is real, friends. And I hurt. And there's no logic, there's no reasoning, there's no explanation that can take any of those things away. And I think death will be the release of some of those things. But I know this. My understanding of every one of those things is limited. And my tiny perspective on life pushes me to ask the questions just like Job. Do I trust the one who put the stars in the sky and who set the oceans in their place? Do I trust the one whose perspective is not limited? Do I trust? And there are many passages in Scripture that tell us about pain and suffering and that it has a purpose, that it draws us to God in a great way. And in a sense, all suffering is a divine kindness because if we were perfectly content, how would we know our need for God? See, C.S. Lewis says it this way, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And the Bible is clear. God works in our pain and suffering. He allows it, he causes it. But in the midst of it, what we need is more than logic, more than trite explanations, more than cliches, more than reasoning, more than our own limited understandings. We need a God who we can see and is not limited. A couple of, um, maybe about 10 months ago, I was in our missional community. So we have small groups here at Resonate and they're fantastic because we get to go kind of, you know, where the, the sermon didn't scratch where we itch, we get to go into those groups and discuss. And we get to, you know, have more, deeper conversation about what God's speaking to us about. And so I love these groups. And one of these groups was being led by a, an apprentice one night. So if you're an apprentice here, I want you to know that you're making a massive impact in our church. I love what God's doing. And Ben Voss happened to be the apprentice that night, and we were talking about pain and suffering, and he gave us this illustration that I think is absolutely beautiful. That He said, you know, sometimes in suffering, it's like an artist painting a massive picture, brush by brush stroke. 
And when the artist puts a little tiny brushstroke out there, it doesn't make any sense. Like you look at it and you're like, I, what are you painting? I don't know. And it could even look ugly and terrible because it's just one brushstroke on the canvas. But sure enough, as you let that artist go and more and more brushstrokes come on, all of a sudden you begin to see this beautiful picture come together. And I wonder if that's what God is doing in our pain and suffering. That he's actually doing something that is far better, far greater than what we could ever imagine. And that our hearts get to trust him in that moment. And you might say to me, well, that's a, that's a nice illustration. That's a nice illustration and you kind of wrap that up all nice and tidy, but how do I know I can trust the artist? How do I know that I can trust the artist? And I will tell you this, the reason why you know that you can trust the artist, you can trust the loving God, is because that God sent his only son not to run away from our suffering, not to ignore our suffering, but to dive into our suffering. And when the courtroom of heaven looks at us and declares, there's a heinous crime that has gone on here. You have been unkind to one another. You have ignored God. You are guilty beyond any courtroom's verdict. You are guilty. God looks at us and he doesn't say, you're going to bear the weight of this. He looks at us and says, I'm going to put the weight of this upon my son. You see, the artist that doesn't have limited thinking loves you like crazy. And he is painting a picture better than you could ever imagine. And I can't take away your pain today. All I can tell you is that your thinking is limited. And all I can do is come alongside you and say, but God's thinking is not limited. And I, I hope more than anything that you can press into him and that you can hear him speak kindness to you out of that whirlwind, out of that hurricane. And I would pray this morning that we do not trust our own limited thinking or religious limited thinking or secular limited thinking, but we would trust the God who is unlimited and who sends his son into the midst of our pain and suffering. Let's pray. God, we want to say thank you for speaking to us this morning. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. God, that you would bring about great hope in their lives. Lord, you would help them to know who you are. And Lord, we pray for people who are not yet brothers and sisters, but are struggling with pain, with suffering, with deep amounts of hurts in their lives. We pray, Father, that you would have spoken to them in a really beautiful way that their hearts would have burned within them this morning. And that they would know your goodness. And God, just like we sang earlier, we look forward to the day when all pain and suffering will be done away with forever. And we celebrate that hope. And we celebrate the fact that 
even in heaven, we will look back and say, what a beautiful canvas you painted through all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise.